This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 9, episode 40. Is Writing Excuses understanding how royalties work? 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And our special guest star this time is Paul Stevens, an editor at Tour Books. Hello. What's your actual title? It is actually editor. Editor, yes. good. Yes. Um, Paul is a fantastic editor. I have worked with him quite a bit. Dan has as mm -hmm. well. Um, he helps us out when Moshe, whose bipolar is um, sometimes hard to get a hold of, Paul becomes <laughs> our in-house man. So Yeah, Paul did almost uh, all of the work on Hollow City, uh, which was fantastic. So the and won an award. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the reason we're going to be talking about royalties here is because um, at our Writing Excuses retreat, the royalty discussion was one of the most popular and interesting ones we did. And we realized we'd never done something like this on writing excuses. And so Paul is the tour in-house expert on royalties. I'm the in-house editorial expert, I would say. <laughs> um, well, basically, twice our royalty statements go out twice a year. And so a few months before, we get two gigantic boxes of draft royalty statements that we are supposed to go through. And um, oh, this, on paper, on paper, yes. And um, <laughs> they come in a horse-drawn carriage <laughs> with a buggy whip. <laughs> Paul, what is a royalty statement? Royalty statement, basically, um, when books get sold at a bookstore, the bookstores will, well, actually, we sell books generally to the bookstore, and then they sell the book on. So, um, of that money that we get when we sold the physical book to the bookstore the author gets a portion of it and and that's their royalties right and normally it's a percentage of cover price on a hardcover yes it's percentage or on, of uh, on, price. A, on a physical book on I mean. physical books it's usually it's a, there's a few different ways it's calculated on and i can give you some examples um on physical books for example the hardcover the standard is 10% of the list price so if you have $25 books that's $2.50 per book for the first 5,000 copies of the book. Once you sell more than 5,000, the royalty rate goes up to 12.5% for the next 5,000. And then once you hit 10,000, the royalty rate goes up to 15% for everything beyond that. And so you that kind of adds up. And for trade paperbacks, the because the cover price is lower, the royalty rate is a, is a little lower. It's between 6 and 8%. But also, it'll generally be graduated like that. It'll be a certain percentage, say 7% to 25,000, and then 8% from then on. Mass markets, those little paperbacks, um, those are um, usually around 8 and 10%, 8 to 150,000 or 100,000, and then 10% after. There's a, when we negotiate the contract, there's a little bit of wiggle room on some of them. Um, hardcover, generally not, but trade paper. Yeah, I would say there's. This is one of the things I didn't realize. There's less wiggle room there than a lot of other places. Like what you just described are basically my royalty rates, mm -hmm. and I'm one of the best-selling authors at Tor. Mm -hmm. And I don't know of many people who have royalty rates that are not that. I've heard rumors that Lucas gets like 22 percent, um, or Lucas Arts did on Star Wars books, and that's like unheard of, um, or something like that. But for normal authors who are not George Lucas, 15% is basically on hardcover with the same escalator you just mentioned is what I'm getting. It's what Robert Jordan, I think, was getting. It's what basically everybody everybody's getting. Yeah, I think that's pretty industry standard. Mm -hmm. And then there's other other ways of calculating. Those those are on the list price of the book. So 1495, you get 8% of 1495 for each copy. 
Um, and then there's some that are basically a percent of the net amount received. Ebooks work that way. It's, um, our ebook is 25% of the net amount received. Audiobooks are, there's a couple different escalators there, but audio and certain things like that are what you get a percentage of the net amount that the, the publisher gets. I want to jump in briefly because a lot of people have a misunderstanding about net because there's this thing called Hollywood accounting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, and, and in Hollywood, what will happen is that you are receiving you know, X percentage of net, which means that they will sit there and say, well, you know, we had to pay this much for lighting, we had to pay this much for that, we had to pay this much for this. And so by the time they finish all of that, there is absolutely no money to give to the creator. Yeah, the net, it, there was nothing netted. Yeah. Yeah. Hollywood, Hollywood contracts where you're getting paid on net are contracts where you are not getting paid. Yeah. yeah. But net amount received means that they are paying you on the actual money that they received. Yes. And this is the, the big difference right now in ebooks and physical, is that if the bookstore discounts the physical within certain fresh thresholds, you still earn the same amount. That's the bookstore saying, well, we bought the book from Tor for 12 bucks. Um, the cover price is 25 bucks. We can knock it down to 14 bucks on a sale, still make a couple bucks. Tor still makes the exact same amount on that, and you still make the same amount on that. On the ebook, when Amazon comes in or Barnes & Noble or someone says, hey, we want to run a discount on this, we're dropping the price, that actually changes the net that you make, um, that the publisher makes, and the amount that you make. So discounting on ebooks actually is, makes you less money per copy, but because of the impulse buys, you know, a good discount on ebooks can just, you know, can make you way make more. Yeah. Yeah. So, and basically, um, when we buy a book, we pay, we generally pay an author advance on their earnings. So say I want to pay an author, um, I negotiate and we agree to, to pay an author $10,000 for their book. Usually we'll pay, we, they won't get a check for $10,000. They'll get, it'll get split up. They'll get a half of it on when they sign the contract and the other half, um, when they, Finish their manuscript and turn it in. It's delivered and accepted. So it's a little, you know, carrot. We to keep mm -hmm. be like you, keep you, writing. You get this. Keep writing. Take, yes. So um, and the bigger an author you get, the more they will split that into yes. chunks. Well, the bigger the yeah, bigger I'm, the I'm amount is. You're in thirds. I'm. I think I'm in fourths. Well, on there's, well, the there's store a reason for that because we're we're okay. We sign a contract, mm -hmm. um, and say the author is going to take six to nine months to finish the book. And then there's probably about a year between when the book mm -hmm. is finished before it goes on pub. We don't start seeing any money coming in until at least 30 or 60 days after the book actually goes on pub. So we're actually loaning this money out. So that's, so when you, when you have a very large advance, you know, it, if we're, you know, if we're talking seven figures, we, it's not really a good business sense for us to <laughs> loan out that much money. It, it, with knowing that it's especially on a multiple book contract when book three or four is going to be you know three four or five years down the road you know we have to kind of tie those payments into when the income is actually going to be coming into us yeah. i think here's a weird thing that happened with mine that people may find interesting one of the big things we did on the stormlight archive books is we were not sure yet how big the series was going to be and you will often have this with your negotiations with an editor where you're sure it's going to be really big and the editor's sure it's going to be moderately big but they don't necessarily want to pay for what it would anyway so there's a lot of discussion in my advance actually we have a, a breakdown on the bestseller placement um, and so what happens is I get one chunk on um, signing 
one chunk on turn-in, one chunk on publication of the hardcover, one chunk on, on bestseller placement of the hardcover. Um, and the, the, the highest it places, like how it places for a given week, we get another chunk of money. So if we get number one, we get this. So we, I don't actually know what my advances are. Well, I now know because we know they, they will hit number one. But when we signed the contract, we weren't sure where, what the actual advance would be on my books because it, we, we tied it to the bestseller placement. Yeah, the bestseller, mm -hmm. we, mm -hmm. we do that on for a number of authors. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's exactly like you said. If you hit number one in the New York Times, you get an additional advance yes. of X amount of money. If you hit number 10, you get an additional advance of this amount. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit more, and then we basically say, so say you stay on the on the bestseller list for a year, you know, we have to put a cap on the amount of money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, but you know, it's the if you know what if you're hitting the New York Times bestseller list, we're happy to give you this advance because yeah. you know we're happy that the books work. We're happy that you know to me you're happy. So, um, but the interesting thing about um, advances and part of the reason that yeah. You know, Publishers don't want to pay super huge, large advances when we're not sure. Is say, okay, we pay a hundred thousand dollars for a book. We're so excited about it. It goes out. The only person that buys the book is the book, you know, the author's mother. So that author has earned two dollars and fifty cents on that book. The advance we've given them, this hundred thousand dollars, if it doesn't earn out, which I guess I'll talk about in a second. They don't return that money to us. That's basically a loss. So um, that's why we really try to gauge right. the amount of the advance on what we really think the, uh, the book is going to earn within a reasonable amount of time, a year or two years. Well, and there's something else really interesting on this, which is um, advances play into expectations, but then they also can... Um, can actually ruin the the feeling of a book. I'm, I'm not explaining this well. Let's say you have two books that both end up selling, let's say, 10,000 copies in hardcover. Now, if the advance on one of them was um, $20,000, then the author, assuming that it's a $25 book, has just earned out and earned money on the hardcover, and everyone's happy. Yes. If the advance on the other one was, let's say, just you know, forty thousand dollars. That book's probably still going to earn out in its paperback, um, and it, in the end, after f three years, both of these authors will have earned the exact same amount of money. Nobody had unearned advance, but the person who earned out their advance looks better for for um, for some reason than the person who didn't earn out their advance quite as quickly, and things like this. And so it can be this sort of self fulfilling sort of thing where getting the right advance, where it pushes you all to try and stretch for it. And that, the numbers I gave are probably the wrong numbers, but it, it, yeah. it tends, it needs to be a much larger. Yeah, much larger number. Yeah, you know, it's mm -hmm. kind of like, oh, you know, we, mm -hmm. we took a bath of $60,000 on this. That's yeah. not good. So, so um, two books that sell the same number of copies and print the same number of copies can, can have widely different perspectives well, based on expectations. Yeah, under advance is mm -hmm. basically, yeah. um, you know, a loss for us. It yep. comes out of our bottom line. We need to stop for our book of the week. And Paul, you were going to pitch one of the books by the author, uh, one of your authors. Yeah, Alex Bledsoe is uh, an author I've been working with for quite a while. Mm -hmm. He has a number of different series, and this series is called the TUFA series, T-U-F-A. And it's basically about a group of, basically they're Celtic warrior fairies that have been living in Appalachia, and their magic is in their music. It's a really hard book to describe, but it's 
absolutely awesome and wonderful, and I love it. It is called The Hum and the Shiver. I will second that. It's really great book. The Hum and the Shiver by Alex Bledsoe. The yeah. Hum and the Shiver by Alex Bledsoe. Head out to audiblepodcast.com/slash/excuse. Uh, pick up. Well, start a 30-day free trial membership and uh, get a copy for free. Do you know who the narrator is on that? Steve Rudnicki and there's another. There's a woman on it, and I'm sorry I can't remember her name. Well, it'll be on the link. It, it so will be on the link. Right sorry about that. Oh, no, that's good. Hey, I've got a I've got a question for you, Paul. When we talked about the the large advances, um, I. I, I was in the record production industry decades ago, and one of the things that we, we were told is that when the band, or when in this case the author, receives a huge advance, in part what that represents is a commitment on the publisher to do everything they can to make that money back. Um, is, how much is, is that the case? I mean, if there's, if there's an author who's getting a $5,000 advance and an author who's getting a $50,000 advance, um, is somebody who is who's doing the marketing or the publicity or the bookkeeping at Tor looking at those two and saying, "Boy, I need to throw I need to throw money at the fifty thousand dollar advance publicity campaign, or we're going to take a bath." It would actually that decision would have already been made because I would not be able to pay a fifty thousand dollar advance without the reasonable expectation that we are going to sell that many copies and have that level of of push for the book. So if I, if, you know, it's, it's rare that I would come in and, and have a very, you know, surprise everyone that I paid, you know, $100,000 for a book. They would already have heard about this book and they would already, there would, all, that level of, of enthusiasm would already be there before I could even. Okay, so what I was it. describing was the tail wagging the dog and that's not the way it works. Not necessarily. No. Okay. Mm -hmm. No. Okay, I think we need to, to uh, let everyone know what earning out Yes, actually means. So why don't, why don't you tell us about that? So earning out, basically, okay, let's talk about our hypothetical $10,000 advance. So we've already determined that if for some reason you only sell 100 copies of the book um, and the book earns 200, uh, 2000, where's my math? Um, $2,500, you, you don't return that other $7,500. So um, that book has not earned out. When the book has sold enough copies um, or, you know, subright sales, I don't know if that's something we can talk about later if there's mm -hmm. time, um, to earn, to basically earn $10,000 in royalties, anything beyond $10,000, then the author starts getting more checks. So they'll start getting, um, say the book ends up earning 12000 they will eventually get another $2,000 in checks. Um, if it keeps selling and selling and selling, then every six months they will keep getting more income. Yeah, now, these royalty statements can be really kind of hard to figure out. Yeah. The first one that I got made my head spin. Yeah. Mine still uh, just mm -hmm. uh, takes mm -hmm. me out. Because I only see them every six months. Right. So I have to sit there and uh -huh. remember how to read it. Well, basically, <laughs> what I, you know, I didn't understand them either. And, and they, they basically dropped these things on and said, now, look for anything that doesn't look good, that doesn't look right. <laughs> but nobody had ever told us what, they, what they're supposed to look like. And you ask, well, just you know, flag anything that doesn't look right. So we actually had to go, go through the statement line by line and redo the math and say, oh, you know, and, and basically under, understand how everything was calculated and how everything fed through to understand how this statement was put together before I really understood what all was going on. So kids, if you want to be an editor, don't drop your math classes. <laughs> well, my first job out of college, I was an investment banker for about four years. 
and you not a, not soul. a fun not a fun <laughs> job, but it was also it was you know it was. I've learned a lot, so I think that's well, why. Well, you knew I how to the, stack all those zeros and yeah. put the commas in the right places. Yeah, I was. So. Yeah, well, it's funny because in the banks and banking job, I was in charge of like thirty-two billion dollars. Now I can't. Yeah, I can sign off on like fifty dollars. <laughs> so, <it's funny. laughs> so you'll you get this royalty statement, and it'll list copies mm -hmm. sold, but it also will um, list returns. It lists returns and a thing called a reserve against returns. Right. Well, mm -hmm. basically, the royalty statement is a snapshot at. December 31st or June 30th. So, say your book publishes in January. That means we ship out all your copies to the bookstore in December. So, we take your snapshot at December 31st. It looks like we shipped 20, we've sold 25,000 copies of your book because that's what we ship to the bookstores. As far as the, you know, that snapshot is concerned, that's what you sold. And they, and so the system thinks, oh, we need to pay him. Based, yeah, that on these sales of twenty five thousand, so your book goes on sale in January, and um, you know books are returnable. If the bookstore doesn't sell it, they send it back to us and they get full credit. That's why we we, we get the returns. So basically, what we have to do on these twenty five thousand dollars sales, we have to hold back a portion of that of that amount in. In anticipation of return of these books being re unsold, books being we didn't returned for really the bookstore. Really, sell all of those. Well, correct. We, we did. We sold them to the bookstore, but the bookstore can always refund. Right. Yeah. And so they will hold a certain amount of money based on what their reserve they think it is. Now, nice, um, nicely, we live in an era where it's much easier than when I started in this to know how much is selling. Uh, mm -hmm. Bookscan is a lot more accessible yeah, um, to authors. It, although BookScan does not show no, a complete it picture. It doesn't show a complete picture, but you can at least say every not one on BookScan is a book sold, yeah. right? right? If you can look on BookScan, BookScan has said, you know, in the last month, BookScan is like the Nielsen ratings um, and its point of sale. So if it says 7,000 copies have sold, you've sold more than 7,000, but you haven't sold less than 7,000. And so you can look at your royalty statement and you can look at BookScan and you can know that you've sold this amount. And, you know, most ebooks, you know, returns on ebooks are very small. Um, they do happen, like, you know, you, like out of every thousand, you'll get like two people who decide to return for whatever reason. Um, and it doesn't really happen that much. And so you can see direct ebook sales and a book scan sales, and you can get a much better picture of exactly what your book is selling. So the reserves can actually be much smaller than they used to be, um, because there was this sense that what if next month they all come back we have no idea if they will and we can watch book scan a lot right. more easily and also reserves are basically they're they're held mm -hmm. they're calculated on each you know the, each edition of the book so the a hardcover will have a reserve that will get smaller over time then when it comes out in trade paperback or mass market it, the it'll hold a reserve on that ISBN but things that are generally not returnable ebooks audible downloads uh, those sorts of things we don't hold we don't calculate a reserve on those on those ISBNs they just flow straight through. So one of the questions that I get asked a lot is, you know, people will say, how should I be buying your books to benefit you most? So what is, when, when readers go to buy a book, how do they buy it to best benefit the author? It, to put the most money in your pocket? Yeah, that's basically what they're asking. Um, the hardcover would, be the, would put the most money in your pocket immediately. Um, and then it goes, you know, probably trade paperback, the ebook will depend on the ebook price because the our ebook pricing is is tied to um, what the current what the current print edition is in. Um, so 
so generally the print edition, but also the, once you start getting to the mass market, um, I think ebooks are fine there yeah. too. It's, I would have to like write it all down and do all the math to, to tell you for <laughs> sure. But it, you know, if the hardcover is available and they want to put the most money in your pocket, definitely hardcover. And I would say, I always respond to these people by saying, that's awesome that you want to help me out. If you really want to help me out, loan your book to your friend. Because yeah. as we spoke mm -hmm. about with Patty on the publicity one, um, word of mouth is what sells books. And so a good recommendation to a friend actually will probably make me more money in the long run than whatever if you decide to buy hardcover versus ebook or something like that. Um, the other thing that is a factor here is first week sales are way more important than other week sales because that determines reorders. It determines whether the bookstore is willing to you know, continue giving you co-op, which is where they place it in the stores. It determines bestseller lists and things like that, which is kind of a weird thing. Yeah. The first six to eight weeks yeah. are, are, are the most critical because that's um, after that is when stores will start looking at, at titles to, re to start returning. Mm -hmm. And then when they go to order your next book, they'll, you know, they'll kind of make their, their buying decision based on what their sales had been in the, in the first eight weeks. And you know, they'll temper it on, did the book continue to sell after that? You know, they'll, they'll adjust it. But their main concern, oh, we sold this many in the first eight weeks. So you know what, I'm going to take you know, around that amount, maybe an additional 20%. Well, we are out of time. Um, I would like to thank Paul Stevens, and I'd like to make Dan give us a writing prompt. Okay, well, I will give you a writing prompt. I warned you ahead of time this time. I know, I remembered. and I thought of a good one. This happened yesterday. I thought of a great one, and then I forgot what it was. Um, I, um, <laughs> I, I get so interested listening to the guests. I don't even talk on the show. I'm just like, yes, Paul, tell me everything about this, because it's will, rad. I will give you yeah. a writing prompt. Oh, thank you. Your writing prompt is to write the writing prompt that Dan Wells should have given you. <laughs> And if you write the actual one I thought of and forgot, then we need to have a conversation because that's, <laughs> that's creepy. Oh, and thank you, Westercon. I forgot to mention we're recording live. So thank you, guys. And this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.